Lord, I thank you for allowing us to come together and have a time of fellowship tonight, get into the Word, and just uh, enjoy each other's company and enjoy you. I pray tonight as we look at your laws and start to understand uh, your desire and that we don't meet that desire except through Christ, uh, that we come to understand that and, and how meaningful uh, the book of Deuteronomy can be to us if we really look into it. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Hmm? Uh, Dave and I'm not sure where they are today. So, yeah, they were gone on Sunday. They might be out of town or something. Oh, they were here on Sunday, so I'm not sure where they are. So, did not hear back from them today. Okay, well, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, we're at a point in the story of God's people where the next generation will need to make a decision. And we've, I think we've all come to that determination that each generation has to decide whether they're going to follow uh, Christ or not, follow God, because the previous generation rejected God. Remember, they got into the promised land. They rejected God's ways. God got upset and said, your generation, you're not going to the promised land. The next generation will. So we're at that point where they're going to have to decide, am I going to follow the Lord or not? They're on the plains of Moab, and Moses is going to, to help reiterate the, the covenant uh, and, and the ceremony and all that. He, he's basically going to tell the new generation, this is what I told the old generation, and this is what you need to follow. So Deuteronomy is kind of reestablishing the covenant with Israel, including the laws. Deuteronomy actually means second law. Um, but I don't think it's just retelling the laws because it's about a relationship um, and reestablishing that with our Lord. So it's not necessarily about just retelling the law. They're across from Jericho. Uh, this is around Numbers 36. Uh, kind of correlates. Uh, we kind of talked about uh, this first slide here. So we are in, you know, we're between Numbers and Joshua and Deuteronomy is kind of written right in there. So it encompasses a little of both. Um, so basically Moses is going to say, this is Moses' goodbye, his farewell trip, his farewell tour, if you want to call it that. And he is going to give three lengthy speeches to them. So if you think my sermons are long, um, study what Moses had to say. Um, but he's trying to get all the information out before he leaves. And experts have looked into this book and they found that there's a, there's a five-part pattern, and I'm pronouncing the word wrong, so um, if you remember this from English, correct me, but a, a chiism or a chiism? Chiism? Chism. Chism, thank you. See, I knew there was somebody here that would know how to pronounce it. But if you look at it, it's a kind of a liter literary form, and what we're talking about is you have an outer frame, okay? You kinda, it kind of curves back. Okay, you have the outer frame and it looks backwards and then you have an inner frame and it's a covenant summary. And then you have the core and what you're really trying to point to, uh, toward is the covenant stipulations. And then you have another inner frame as you go back toward the out uh, and that's the covenant ceremony. And then you have the outer frame, which looks forward. So you can see how it kind of curves in a sense. Um, the, the outer frame, the inner, inner frames. The two frames, the inner frames 
you could read the outer and the inner. You could just re and skip the core. You could just read it right through. They kind of connect up. But what it does, it puts more emphasis, if you're a literary person and the way you're doing this, it put more emphasis on the core, which are the covenant stipulations. It puts that focus there in the central core. So Moses starts out reminding Israel that they were here figuratively 40 years earlier, okay? Not in this exact spot physically, but figuratively going into the promised lands. 40 years ago, we were here, and that sin got in the way of what God wanted for His people. Uh, and it's very interesting because Deuteronomy talks about how the Word spoke, and several times it says Moses spoke. And what it's talking about uh, it'll say, as the Lord's commanded, and, and that means Moses smoke, uh, spoke. The, the book of Deuteronomy is saying, these are the very words of God, okay? So Moses may be telling you, but these words came from him, not from Moses, okay? So, and that's very important. Moses is repeating the words of God. So, if you're done with anybody copying this down, I can wait. Okay, and, and what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start linking. I have the audio online, but not the video, because I figured the video wasn't as interesting, uh, the Zoom meeting video. But uh, what I'll do is I'll link the PowerPoints to those audio files online. So uh, you can pull those up if you ever want to listen to any of those. So I can go back to this one for you a little okay. bit. So Okay, so the first part of Deuteronomy uh, and his first speech is all about God's faithfulness. So they're going to go from uh, the Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Again, he's looking back. He's reminding them of God's faithfulness from Eden to the plain of, uh, of Moab to the, the, you know, and he's talking to them. He's trying to encourage them uh, to be obedient. And he starts talking about the cities of refuge. And the cities of ref refuge are, it, it's very, just a couple of, uh, a couple of chapters there, but that's very interesting because there's many cultures that have this. Anybody know what a city of refuge is? They have one in Hawaii, actually, too. It's if I kill Bob. Sorry, Bob. This is your week. I got you on Sunday, and I'm getting you on Wednesday. If I kill Bob on, let's say it was an accident, I, if I could make it to the city of refuge before his family and his wife track me down, because they would want to kill me. Okay, we're talking old school, you know, type of, uh, you know, justice. If I could make it to the city of refuge, then I could have a trial. And then they could determine whether it was an accident or whether I did it on purpose. If I did it on purpose, then the result would be, you know, death, you know. But if I did it on an accident, then I would be forgiven. and His family would be told to leave me alone. They had a city of refuge. So Israel had five different cities of refuge. Okay, because they don't have a court system like they do now. That's starting to develop, but uh, it's kind of interesting. They have a, a, many different nations do this. In Hawaii, there's a city of refuge also uh, on, the, on the Big Island, and each island had a city of refuge. So just kind of interesting side note, because I like to talk about Hawaii. Um, <laughs> but his first speech, he starts out by telling them all the great things that God has done in the past, how the Lord has protected them, um, how the Lord had protected them coming out of Egypt, all those things to motivate them to follow the Lord because Moses sought to prepare the nation to obey God in the future. He's basically saying, okay, you're going to go into the promised land. I want to encourage you because this is what God will do for you. 
He'll do this. He'll protect you. He'll bless you. He'll do all these things. And the covenant was already ratified at Sinai, and you had a partial fulfillment there of God's promises to the patriarchs. And now it's time for the next step. The next step in the promise is the promised land. Okay, He built the nation. Now he's going to give them the land. So that's the next step. And Moses compares the keeping of the covenant and the you know and pitfalls of disobedience and he basically goes over the history and goes okay guys remember when you screwed up what did god do he punished you remember when you followed god you strictly obeyed god he blessed you but remember that other time when you didn't follow god what did he do you know he <laughs> he's going over it and over it and, and israel you know has learned that the victory is God's to grant. It's not theirs. And, and Moses even says in, in Deuteronomy 2.33, the Lord our God delivered him over to us. And he's talking about somebody else, but uh, 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 somebody they were fighting. And we struck him down. In other words, it's God doing it. It wasn't about their glory. It was about God's glory. So Moses reminded Israel that God, God's blessings are often directly related to the submission to his will. And Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 29, explains that even Moses suffered the consequences of his sinful, uh, sinful actions, and he wasn't allowed to go into the uh, promised land. So he's trying to encourage them but, you know, to, uh, you know, about being uh, godly in the future. So he repeatedly warns them about forgetting the covenant. Don't forget the covenant, guys. Don't forget it. Because Moses knows that keeping the covenant commitments are hard and that people have short memories. Do we have short memories? Yeah. I know, I know, especially him, right? <laughs> short memories. So then we get into the second part of this, okay? Moses goes on, and the next one is talking about the covenant way of life. And this is chapter 4, verse 44 through uh, chapter 26, 19, okay? So it's all about the covenant way. So you have the intro, uh, introduction, the, the greatest commandment, and the, the detailed stipulations. So this is his second speech where he really reiterates the covenant law originally presented in Exodus 20 through 23 and expands upon the Ten Commandments. And you will notice that uh, if you read through Deuteronomy, um, you could almost take the Ten Commandments and put them as chapter heads of all the laws. So you almost have 10 groupings of laws and the 10 commandments relate to, you know, each commandment relate to those laws. So in other words, you have 10 sections. Um, so it's, a, you know, an explanation of those going from, and, and he, he's sitting there going, guys, you're fixing to go from desert life, that's all you've ever known, to city life. And there's some important rules you're going to need to follow because city life is is entertaining, right? It's fun, you know, my... My, it's so funny. Um, I, don't, I forgot who I was talking with about this, but my mom lived outside of a, a town of only 5,000 people, you know, and she lived out in the house. So they call it the old home place. And then they had the old, old home place on a different plot of land. But we were looking on, uh, on the map the other day and we could zoom in to where the barn was and where her, her house is still standing. She lived there until she was, I think, in high school. It was either eighth grade or 10th grade. I forgot which one. And they still had an outhouse. That was me. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. We were Bob and I were talking about that. 
Um, bringing up Bob again, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but she moved in the, to town during high school and our eighth grade or high school, I forgot which one, but, uh, you know, and it was, it was different to live in town versus living, you know, four or five miles outside of town and having an outhouse and all that. And then they'd go to another bigger city, you know, on Friday nights and stuff. And, and, you know, that life can be entertaining. You know, I have all sorts of stories from my great uncle who was a sheriff of Kiowa County and just all the, the barn chasing they had to do because they'd start, kids would go to a barn and party and all that kind of stuff and they'd have to figure out what barn are they going to be at tonight type of thing on Friday and Saturday nights but it's enticing you know so he's sitting there going you need to understand the rules here guys you need to understand God's desire for your life because you're fixing to go to the big city in a sense uh, from desert life to city life so here Deuteronomy reviews the covenant stipulations and establishes them a normal way of life here's your baseline Here's the expectations uh, for the Israelites for after they enter the promised land. And these laws and decrees of Sinai, uh, the covenant, now apply to their future life. Because a lot of these laws made no difference out in the desert. Okay? Didn't relate to their living situation at all. But once they get into the promised land, was very important. And he says, now it's your turn, you new guys your turn the old has passed away and the new has come he literally uses that figurative language where do we hear that from paul in the new testament the old has passed away the new has come okay so the law means uh, a divine instruction for righteous living and one of the most important is what we call the the shema okay and it's uh, verse 4 deuteronomy um 4 verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it establishes right off the bat one God. So I said on Sunday, 70% of Christians believe there are multiple ways to get to heaven and go to God. And God says, No, no, no. One God. That's the basis of it. We our feelings don't matter. Okay? One God. But I just don't feel that's right. No, no. I don't care. One God. Okay. So then he goes on, and it's one of my favorite verses of the Bible. And I can't get it to... Oh, my battery is running low. There we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. New Testament would add mind to that um, because back then um, your heart was your mind and your heart, okay? New Testament time, Greek thinking, Greek way of thinking, those were split, okay? Feelings versus logic, okay? Um, back then it was the same. These, but I love this next part. These commandments that I give you today or to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. Now, what is he trying to say through that? Yeah, we're supposed to be constantly thinking about God thanking God and thinking of God and thinking, does God want me to be about what I'm doing? Okay. 
bind it to our, our foreheads. They took that and literally put the Word of God in a little box and tie it to the forehead for when they pray. And they do a special cadence. And go, I have some pictures and some video of this, and I, did, I didn't bring it up today. But they would do that. And then they would tie around their hands and bind the Word of God on their hand when they went to go pray, okay? And I, I understand they're trying to take it literally, but I think there's some figurative here of saying it should always be on your mind. It should always be everywhere you walk and where you sit down and you talk and all these things to your children, your grandchildren, the little ones around you should be talking about God. It shouldn't just be about what we do every day in life, okay? So I think that's important, and Moses is trying to tell them. Moses is trying to form their character, not just pass on information, okay? It's about character to motivate the nation to keep the covenant and obey his laws and the covenant laws. It's an important concept that relates to, to keeping the covenants. Or, or these two words are very important here, love and fear. Bo, uh, Moses uses both these terms repeatedly in chapter 6 through 11. And it's Ahab and Yair, okay? Love and fear. Uh, we think of them as opposites. But really, they complement each other if you think about it. A healthy fear is one that comes out because of love, right? Like a child should have a healthy fear of mom and dad. In other words, I want to follow what they want us to do. And if I don't, the fear comes in, they're going to discipline me. Okay. Now, there's an unhealthy fear, isn't there? Yeah. Dad comes in and beats the living daylights out of a kid. That's unhealthy fear, okay? So don't, don't get me wrong there. That's going too far. That's crossing the line, okay? But, the, you know, there, there's that healthy love and that healthy fear in there. Um, you know, if there's no fear in love, it leads to what? Disobedience, okay? Teacher, classroom, just let them get away with everything, right? Nope. Yeah, but you love the kids, right? <laughs> Yeah, they have to fear you as a teacher in certain ways, don't they? Yeah, because your word is law in that classroom. It should be, you know. Um, my, you know, I talk to Brandon all the time. He would come back and he would say, this isn't fair, da 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 da, da. And I'm like, Brandon, I agree with you, but guess what? I'm going to back the teacher. Why? It's her classroom. She makes the rules. So that's life. You don't like it. You don't think it's fair. Her rules. Me as a parent, I have to back that up. Okay, I mean, yeah, don't get me going on picking up kids. And I tell you, <laughs> dropping off kids and picking up kids, I've never seen so many parents break the rules. <laughs> and you're just like, how do you expect your children to follow the rules in school if you just ignore everything when the principal's standing right there telling you, we don't want you to walk through that lane of traffic, go down to the crosswalks, you know, in this little, it's only four cars down, people, you know, but they just walk right in front of the cars as they're trying, and the principal's right there. How do you expect your kid to follow the principal's uh, rules and, and the school rules and all those things if you're not willing to? And this is what Moses is trying to tell them. You have to follow these things, and your kids are going to be watching you. So talk about God, Okay. That's what he's been trying to tell them. So after Mo Moses establishes this concept with the Israelites, he moves on to the covenant obligations. 
and how the law relates to the new living situation when they get to Canaan, but also their everyday life. Okay, and then he goes into the next section, which is the covenant sanctions. Uh, this is chapter 27 through 31, where he's going to go through the ratification ceremony. He is going to the, do the blessings and the curses. And, and uh, ironic, they're going to get in to the promised land and Joshua, and they're going to divide up into two different mountains. And one side's going to read the blessing and the other side's going to read the cursing. Uh, I mean, the cursing, the curses. And, and, and they're going to be, they're, they're going to go in. This is one of those times when they're telling God, we're going to follow you, you know. And they're all like, yeah, and they're so excited. And very quickly they stop following God. But uh, this is the one time when they're all right there. But this is where it comes from, the blessing and the curses. You have the covenant oath, uh, the call to decision. In other words, are you going to follow this? And then he's going to introduce the new leadership. So this is his third speech, the final address to the nation. It focuses on the curses and the blessings and being dependent on the covenant compliance. It challenges them to be faithful, and then it puts Joshua in charge. So in chapter 27, Moses gives instructions for the covenant renewal ceremony to be performed by the Israelites once they take possession of the land. And that's what I'm talking about, where they have the two mountains and everybody's divided up and they start doing this. It's going to be in the ancient city of uh, Shechem. It's in the heart of the promised land. And they're going to build an altar and they're going to set a stone memorial up for the occasion. And we'll talk about the history of uh, the book of Joshua here next week. Um, but it's all about good news because at least they're following God's ways at this point. And they'll build these altars and they'll pile these rocks up. I mean, they literally even pile rocks up near the river and then they pile rocks up in the middle of the river. Now, when they pile these rocks up, every time the family walks by, the kids go, why is there a pile of rocks there? They retell the story. Oh, let me tell you why that rocks are there, okay? See, I love collecting rocks. You know, you go out here and you'll see all sorts of weird rocks. And I'll start telling, you know, I can tell stories about where I got this lava rock at, what kind of lava it is, and all, you know, the Israelites do the same thing. They build different altars, they build different things, and that way when they walk by, it's a, it's a type of remembrance because they all don't have iPads to go, oh, let me show you that picture, you know. They didn't have that, so. But then we go on to um, chapter 28, and it lists the, uh, the, for the Israelites the blessings and the curses of the covenant. It's a simple doctrine of uh, retribution, often called the uh, Deut- Deuteronomic theology. I can't even, I'm probably messing that word up, but it's a, it's, a, it's a type of theology that has to do with Deuteronomy. And Moses explains the faithfulness to the covenant will result in blessings, while disobedience will result in curses. And this is a basic theology behind all the historical books that we're fixing to hit. Uh, Joshua, Judges, um, Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, all those books that we're fixing to hit, um, this, is the, this is what's behind it. And we're going to see the blessings, and then we're going to see the curses for when you have obedience and disobedience. And he basically said, here's the immediate results. Israel will succeed in the land that's promised only if they're faithful to the covenant. And we will see them succeed when they're faithful. On the other hand, if the nation disobeys, it will lose the land. Now, how many times did they lose the land? 
Oh, a few times. Okay. I mean, we're studying the book on Sunday mornings right now. Daniel, they lost the land. You know, there's a remnant there, but most of the people lost the land. So the rest of the biblical revelation broadens the scope by teaching that character ultimately has to do with one's eternal destiny. The character of who you are makes up who you are, shows what you believe, and shows people where you're going to go. Okay, now I'm going to say that 95% of the time, it's obvious. You can tell. The other 5%, we'll let God decide on that. You know, did the kid who accepted Christ at seven years of age, but never showed anything from that point on forward of following God? I, I'm happy I don't have to make that decision. That's God's decision. But for the most part, people know what they believe and they act upon those beliefs. And it's obvious to other people. Okay should be obvious that you're a Christian. should be obvious that you're a little different. You know, um, well, we have a dad's club. And it's obvious that I'm not like all the other dads. There's a few dads I'm like. But I didn't stay after the meeting and get drunk. There were some that did. You know. And how sad. You know. Um, but it's obvious that I was a little different. So do I relate to them in the same way? No. Am I going to be best buddies with all of them? Probably not. It doesn't mean I'm not friendly. It doesn't mean that, that I, I don't get together with them ever so often for this event or that event or help out or, or be a positive influence. But does that mean I hang out with them every Friday night? No. No. You know, your character shows who you are. Now, can you be a good influence on people like that? Yes. But if that's every weekend that you're doing that, most likely, you know, we're not all Christ. Christ was perfect. He could go hang out with everybody like that and not sin. Uh, we, on the other hand, aren't like that. So, but your character ultimately has to do with one's eternal destiny. So, and then chapter 29, he reviews the recent victories over the enemy nations and predicts future, you know, disobedience exile and return to the land and then Moses charges them to make a conscious decision to be faithful to the commitments of God he is telling them you as a nation you're going to be disobedient and they're going to come in and they're going to wipe you off they're going to take you away to exile and then God will bring you back he's to return to the land all the way back to exodus and the people still went the wrong direction you know, it's like a parent going, okay, I'm telling you what's going to happen here if you do this. And then the kid goes off and does that. And you're like, okay. You know, that's what God is doing here through Moses. So he's placed them before the, uh, you know, he's placed before them the blessings and the cursings, a choice between life and death. And Moses calls on the Israelites to practice advanced decision making, like what we were talking about in Daniel, that Daniel purposed in his heart. He's telling them purpose in your heart. Make the decision ahead of time to decide now what their future behavior will be. And the Bible warns us that we cannot afford to wait until the moment of temptation to decide what our answer will be. You know, and this is the same thing. And I've told this many times before that my dad, whenever I went out on a date when I was in high school, he would say, remember, you're an or. Okay, my last name. Remember who you are because you represent more than just you. You represent this family. 
And all he had to say is, remember, you're an or. And I knew exactly what that meant. It meant these, uh, here's your expectations on how you're supposed to act when you're out. And this is exactly what God's doing. Remember, you're a Yahweh, follower of Yahweh. That's your last name if you want to call it that. Okay, now, not really, but I'm just, you know, trying to equate it to that. So, so then he leaves a copy of the law written in the hands of the Levites who were to preserve it in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I found this as interesting as I look back at the laws and I did a little study and, and I came across this and I thought this is a really good way of, of showing it. Okay, so I didn't come up with this, um, but I found it somewhere else. But you have... The main issues, authority, dignity, commitment, and rights. Okay, regarding, uh, regarding God, you have commandment number one, commandment number two, commandment number three, and commandment number four. Okay, dealing with the authority of God, the dignity of God, the commitment to God, and the rights and privileges. Then you come over here to humans. Commandment five deals mainly with humans uh, when it comes to authority. And dignity was six, seven, and eight and commitment with nine and rights and privileges with commandment number 10. So um, go back and look at that. And, and I, I'll have this online, but it's kind of interesting as you start reading the commandments and you start thinking about them, you're like, yeah, that does deal with that. And then all these chapters go along with those type of things. So um, I can send that out to you. So and then lastly, we get to what we call the appendix, uh, appendixes, um, it, you know, the ending of the book, basically. And you have the Song of Moses, where Moses goes off and sings, and everybody holds their ears a little bit, I guess. I don't know. And then you have the Testament of Moses, and the death and burial of Moses is written in there by someone else, okay? So Moses writes most of the book, and we, we think that, excuse me, we think Joshua puts the part in about the death and burial of Moses. But what's interesting is the Song of Moses. God told Moses to write a song, and I wish I would have been there for that uh, conversation. But God, you know I don't sing. You know, I mean, you can imagine, because Moses, nowhere else does it show this, that he does this. But, but it has a lasting impact on Israel. They learn the words, and they would sing it often. It's like the songs that we sing for worship on Sundays. You learn the words, you sing it often. I love it when my son comes home and just goes, oh, I just love that song, and he's singing the words. That is an awesome thing, okay? That's what Moses did. They learned the words, and it was a guide to the prophets later on. Why? Because not everybody had the iPad or the iPhone. I, okay, I, I used that joke earlier. But not everybody had the written word. Only the Levites did, right? Why? It cost a lot of money. You know how much time it takes to copy the Word of God? Because, you, you know, they wanted to do it perfectly, okay? So literally, out in, um, um, Qum, is it Qumran, I think it is, uh, right at the northern part of the Dead Sea, you come out, of, come out of Jerusalem up on the northern side, and you go up and down into the Dead Sea area, and right up there, was where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, Qumran. And I'll bring up some pictures next time if uh, somebody reminds me. I'm going to elect you to remind me of that. Um, okay. 
um, <laughs> since Lisa is in here. Um, but I'll bring up some of those pictures of where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and all that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is there's a, a group that lived up there and they copied the word of God. And if they made a mistake, they took the scroll out and it would take hours to write these scrolls, took the scroll out and they would burn the scroll and start over. Okay, but not only start over, they had to go through ritual washing. And they had to do all these things. They had to go through the mikvah and all this kind of stuff before they sat back down and started on the scroll again. The word of God was so important to them. So not everybody had a copy of it. So they learned these songs through, you know, over time and they were singing these words and it had them remembering the word of God. So it had an impact to them. And, and uh, then, then the time of Moses, uh, th then we get to the time of Moses' death. It's arrived after the receiving the instructions to go to Mount Nemo, uh, Nebo, where he would view the promised land from a distance. God gave him the privilege of at least looking into the promised land. Took him up on top of the mountain there, uh, you know, in the in Jordanian side where he would view it. This is around chapter 32. And then Moses pronounced his fatherly, uh, fatherly blessing over each tribe and basically told their future through God. And that's in chapter 33. And then rather than warning them or even kind of final exhortations of, I'm leaving guys, da 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 da, he just gives them a blessing and he declares God's future for Israel. It's like God is saying, don't, okay, we're done with all the warnings and stuff, just bless them. And that's what he does. And, and the pla uh, this, place, uh, this place is the covenant and the Mosaic law squarely within God's sovereignty. Moses has emphasized uh, Israel's covenant obligations, but now his farewell blessings assure them of God's commitment to them. And Deuteronomy is important because it ties together what precedes it to what follows it. Okay, Deuteronomy sandwiched in there. Historically, the covenant, uh, you know, in the plains of Moab, bridged the Sinai covenant with the, the life in the promised land. In other words, going all the way back, uh, you know, when they entered Sinai and the, all those things. But, but Deuteronomy also forms a literary bridge between the, the Pentateuch, the first, that's our dishwasher going off, um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, okay, it sandwiches that with what's coming next, the historical books. It both looks past and it looks toward the future. And it sets the stage in which the drama uh, in the historical books take place. Because you're going to see Israel do this in their relationship with God. It's going to be a huge roller coaster going all the way through. And why is that? Because they're either following the, Deuteronomy, uh, the laws of Deuteronomy or they're not. When they follow the laws of Deuteronomy, they're going high and, and flying. They're enjoying it. When they don't, they scream all the way down, okay? So you're going to see this in the historical books where they choose between life and death, blessings and curf uh, curses, because it's a prelude to the story of, of national Israel, you know, the, the nation and so forth. And in fact, I kind of just did this, where literally it sandwiches in between, okay? I almost put it this way like a hamburger, but I did it <laughs> sideways instead, you know. But it, it kind of 
it shows the back end and it shows what's going to come. It's literally sandwiched in between everything that precedes it. Um, think about it almost like a hinge, another way of thinking about it. It, it pivots on it. And every time I say the word pivot, I'm sorry, I think of uh, friends. Pivot! Okay. <laughs> but it describes your future relationship with God, with one another, and the surrounding nations. So the underlying principle of all the rules, the regulations of all the laws, is love. God loves his people, and he wants them in good standing with him, so he gives them the rules to obey. It's like I do with my children. I love my children. Here's the rules. And when you follow these rules, everything is hunky-dory in the house of the oars, right? When you break those rules, dad gets upset and things aren't hunky-dory anymore. Okay? Dad raises his voice a little bit. Dad gets a little angry. He gets that stern look on his face. Same thing with God. Here's the laws, guys. Here's the rules. And it's all about His love. He wants them in good standing with Him. So the basis of of the nation's relationship to God flowed from His love for Israel and from Israel's appropriate response of obedience. When God's people were, you know, break His commandments, they break the relationship of love. You can go to Matthew 22, 35 through 40, talks about this. John 14, 15 talks a little bit about this, the, about the relationship of love with us. So Matthew 22, 35 through 40, and John 14, 15. Um, but, you know, obedience to God's law is a, is a byproduct of the relationship of love, right? I obey because I love. I obeyed my parents because I loved them. Most of the time I obeyed them. You know, I mean, every, you know what I'm saying. But love is the essence of the relationship. Law is a natural result of that love. The rules are, okay? So, and I think we can all relate to that when it comes to family, either growing up or if we have kids now, you guys are entering into that. You know, he's still at the lovey-dovey stage where, you know, he's not too honorary. You know what I mean? Uh, and when he's honoring, he's just being cute, right? You know, um, but uh, eventually they get to the point where you're just like, what did we talk about? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but we get there and that's what God is doing that with us all the time. He's like, Alan, we, we, you taught this. What are you doing? You know, and he's it's like, come on. And discipline happens, right? And what, why is discipline happening? Because God doesn't like us anymore. No, he's trying to get us back in the right relationship with him, okay? Because it's about the love. He loves us, okay? So that's the natural result. And that's what Deuteronomy is all about. God's love saying, here's your foundation for everything you should believe, everything you should act upon. That's what it's all about. So, any questions? Any questions?